This message comes to you from City Bible Church in Portland, Oregon, where we are committed to living like Jesus and sharing His love. It is our prayer that this message blesses and enriches your life. Well, good morning. And uh, whether you're online today or whether you're in the auditorium, it's great. Second week of this series. And we're, we're discovering, as Pastor Mark said, what it means to be an unlikely hero. And the great thought of this whole series is that God uses ordinary people. And if you're ordinary, wave at me. Come on. We all are fairly ordinary. And he uses us to do extraordinary things. It's who he is. And it's not because of we're so great. It's because we have God in us. And I remember as we started talking about this series and using the word heroes, I actually, I get stuck a little bit when we use the word heroes because there's two kinds of heroes I think about. I first of all think about superheroes. How many have seen a superhero movie in the last year? Man, they're everywhere. I mean, Spider-Man and the Avengers and X-Men. And I always wanted to be Superman as a kid. I always thought it'd be really, really cool to be able to fly anywhere I wanted as fast as I wanted without having to wait for the airline stewards to let me get on my seat on the plane. I thought that'd be amazing. And just to be impervious to danger, I could try all kinds of things. I, I would do all kinds of things knowing I wouldn't get hurt. But the problem for me is that I could never be a Superman. I could never be a superhero because most of them wear their underpants on the outside of their clothes. Have you noticed that? What's up with that? Or they wear spandex. I mean, I would have to be like Captain Lumpy or something, you know? It just, it would not work for me to be a superhero. But the reality is there are no superheroes. Why? Because there's no superpowers. The reality is, is as we look at heroes, we look at them the other side, which is, I remember, was it Captain Sully who, who landed that plane in the, in the harbor when the engines were on fire and he saved all those hundreds of people's lives. And man, I think about that, that's amazing. But I've never, I've never done that. I think about a news story where somebody goes into a burning building and rescues somebody, and I've never, I've never done that. I, I love to read World War II history. It's one of my favorite things, and I, I read a lot about it. And what's amazing to me is people I would call heroes, when you talk to them, they don't even like the term being called a hero. They were just somebody that was in a certain place and something was required. And the reality is I don't think many of us think of ourselves as heroes. We look at each other and we might see greatness in somebody else, but we often don't see greatness in ourselves. Even when we look at the Bible, we, I think that we, we look at the end of the story and we know where they ended up. And so we think there's something really amazing about them in the sense of who they were or what they did. Last week, we looked at the story of Jonathan and his armor bearer, his sidekick. And, and as I read the beginning of the story, I know the end. But if I were to suspend my knowledge of the end of the story, you know what I think about Jonathan at the beginning of that story? Him and his buddy going to take out an entire garrison of Philistine uh, a Philistine army. You know what I think about? It? I think they're lunatics. They're not heroes. They're crazy. They've got the worst battle plan in history. But you know what? Jonathan got a hold of something that we learned last week, and that is if God will show up, if God's for me, he can do amazing things in me and through me. And because of one man's faith and who he trusted in, it changed the whole course of that nation's history in that moment. And the enemy, was, the enemy was defeated, not even because of what Jonathan personally did, but because of what God did because of Jonathan's faith. How many times do we look at the Bible and we think, man, Paul, great hero. He didn't start that way. He was the guy who tried to shut down the church, tried to kill them all. And it was an encounter with Jesus that changed his world. And we're going to look at another story today about an unlikely hero. In fact, I think it's one of the most unlikely heroes in the entire Bible. 
I think without, without going into a lot of detail yet, if we, we were to look at her and we look at our life, we might even feel we have more to offer than she did. But we're going to look at what, what happened in her life just by a simple act of faith. You see, the reality is the scripture we had on the screen, the scripture was in the video, the scripture from last week with, with man, this is impossible. With all things, God is impo- all things, God is possible. We can look at that at salvation, which is what that scripture is talking about. We can't save ourselves. We can't forgive ourselves from our past. We can't give ourselves a new start. Only God can. With us, it's impossible. With God, it's possible. But the reality is, is I want to say to you that that scripture should be in every part of our life, that with ourselves, there's a lot we can't do. But because Christ is in us, it can allow us to do some amazing things as God works in us and he works through us. Can I hear an amen? Are you with me this morning? You see, we look at ourselves as ordinary, boring. We look at ourselves as maybe not a lot to offer, nothing special. And I wanna wanna look at those words today. I wanna look at how how we come about that and why we feel that way. And I wanna change some people's perspectives today that you actually have the possibility. And not only the possibility, you have everything within you to become an unlikely hero today. When I look at the Bible, it's the boring, the mundane, the, the usual that God uses. And I want you to turn your Bibles to Mark chapter 12 this morning. Four simple verses we're going to look at it. Probably the most unlikely hero in the Bible. And as you're turning to Mark chapter 12, let me just set the, the scene for you about what's happened so far in this day. Today, that's being recorded in the scripture, is actually the last day of Jesus' public ministry. In fact, the story we're going to look at is at the end of the day. And, and in his last day of ministry, he's been in the inner court of the temple. It's where all the men gather, all the, the Jewish men that gather and they teach and they, they, they talk and they, they look through the scriptures. And Jesus has spent most of the day there and he's actually encountered so many different people. The, it says that he encountered the elders that day and he, he argued with the Pharisees and the, the Sadducees tried to trap him and even the Herodians came after him, those who thought that they should submit to Roman rule. Everybody that he's encountered that day, he's had really conflict with. It's been, it's been quite a day for Jesus. And as he moves to the end of the day in his, very last, in his very last teaching of his public ministry, he moves to the outer court. It's a, a large area of Herod's temple. It's it's called the Court of Women, and it's where men and women of the Jewish faith congregate. Around this, this large area where there's probably hundreds and maybe even a thousand or more people, it's a large area, but around the walls, there's 13 different receptacles. They look like an upside-down horn mounted to the wall, and it's where people brought their free will offerings, their, their support of the, the temple. They brought their support to the ministry, so to speak. It wasn't where they sacrificed, but it was where they brought their free will offerings, and History tells us that it was quite a congregation place because people would come and they'd watch what people gave. I kind of imagine it like the, you know, the 10th hole of a golf course where they watch somebody tee off and there's quiet, kind of polite clapping and a little bit of murmuring of a good shot or a bad shot. And history tells us that people would stand around and when somebody dropped in a large offering, people would kind of murmur their praises and they would notice it. It's kind of a, an unusual situation. You can see why Jesus was teaching people to not look on the outside, but look on the inside. He taught them to give in private, not in make it a public show. He's teaching them on how to pray and make sure your prayers are even in the private place where it's, you're doing it as unto God, not as unto those around you. And it's in that context that we, 
we begin to connect with Jesus in this last day of public ministry, in the last teaching he's going to do with the disciples in such a simple way that actually I've read this scripture many times and glossed right over the deep teaching and meaning of what Jesus wants to teach his disciples. And we pick it up here in verse 42, it's, or 41. It says, Jesus sat down near the collection box in the temple. He's just doing what everybody else is doing. And he's watching as the crowds dropped in their money. Many rich people dropped in large amounts. And I want you to notice verse 42, because here's our unlikely hero today. And then a poor widow came and dropped in two small coins. Now think about that for a moment. That sure doesn't sound very heroic to me. Jesus called to his disciples and he said, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has given more than all the others who are making contributions. For they gave a tiny part of their surplus, but she is poor. She is, she's given everything she has to live on. I can imagine being in that, that, that courtyard that day as one of the disciples and Jesus pulls me over and I can imagine looking around and I, I imagine like you, we, I'm a people watcher. I love to see what people do and how they live and the way they dress. And you can imagine that they're, they're, they're thinking Jesus is gonna point them out to somebody amazing, somebody that's, that's doing something spectacular in their giving that day. And yet it's in these first few words that we begin to realize that Jesus has a different definition of what makes a hero than we do. Verse 42, it says, then a poor widow came and dropped in two small coins. Think about that for a moment. In our, our culture sees it a little differently, but in that day and in that age, this lady had everything going against her. Number one, she was a, a woman. In ancient culture, women were not, they were not respected the same way that men were. They couldn't testify in court because their word wasn't considered, wasn't considered enough to hold it against a man's word. They, they couldn't testify in court. That's what makes the fact that Mary was the first one to see Jesus raised from the dead so amazing. Jesus was the one who elevated women to a place to say, you're my daughter just as much as they're my son. But she was a woman, and so she couldn't even enter into the other courtyard. She was also a widow, and in that day and age, to be a widow was catastrophic. Your whole livelihood was dependent on what your husband did and the income he earned. And we gather from this scripture that she didn't have any sons because if she had had sons, they could have supported her also. She had nobody to support her. And the Bible just calls her a poor widow. How poor was she? Well, it tells us she gave everything she had. And she dropped in two little coins and historians tell us they were called the lepta. They're a little tiny brass coin. They're not very big at all. They were the smallest denomination in Roman culture at that day and age, and they represented one 120th of a day's wages for a common laborer. I did the calculations and looked it up, and it comes out to about 75 cents today in our, in our day and age. I mean, let's imagine the setting for a moment that here's people, and they're dropping in large amounts. And by the way, we're gonna find out Jesus isn't talking about the amount they give. God loves givers pure and simple. But he's noticing this lady who, while others might be dropping in hundreds, thousands, who knows how much, she drops in 80, 75 cents. And Jesus says, I want you to notice something about her. She's poor. I wonder if her clothes weren't a little threadbare, maybe. Maybe she didn't have access to maybe some of the, the medical care that maybe somebody more wealthy would. And maybe it showed even in her, in her personhood. But you know, it was more than just that. She, she probably had been ignored there was nothing to draw her to anybody in culture. 
That whole courtyard was about noticing the amount somebody gave. She had been ignored. I also find it extremely interesting. The Bible doesn't even tell us her name. I call her Linda. I don't know why. (laughs) And if you're Linda, I don't mean that you're poor or a widow or anything like that. I just thought, as I was reading this, I thought it was profound that we know so many people's names in the Bible, and yet she's even nameless. And so in my mind, she's Linda. And I love Linda. I'll tell you why. Because Jesus is going to tell us why she's one of the greatest heroes in the courtyard that day. And I think that, that she represents maybe some people in the natural today that you, like her, don't feel you have the resources to be helpful. Or maybe that you have been marginalized in our society. Maybe even, maybe even some of the ways you've had to live or you feel outside of maybe culture and people. But I often think that, that there's many of us that maybe aren't naturally like this, but spiritually we feel the same way. Maybe we're not seen. Maybe God hasn't seen us. Maybe he looks at us in a certain way and we see limitations and we see the lack of what we have to give God and we put ourselves in a category that says, I'm unusable because of how others see me and because of how God sees me. But you see, Jesus saw something very different. Where people saw this maybe poorly dressed woman who obviously was a widow. She is poor by recognition, marginalized, ignored by society. You know who saw her? Jesus. He saw her when maybe nobody else did. And it was such an important thing to Jesus that here in the last day of his public ministry, in the last moments of his public teaching, he says that he he told the disciples to come over to him. He said, Jesus said, called the disciples to him and he wanted them to stop and pause and to remove all their observation of everyone else and to focus on this precious little lady named Linda. You see, Jesus knows our temptation. He knows our greatest temptation is what? Always to look on the outside. We all do it. I mean, I I, I can look at you and I can begin to make just not judgments, but I can even begin to guess who you are and where you come from and what your life might be like based on appearance. You do the same to me. And Jesus is wondering about these disciples because he's getting ready to leave them only a matter of days. And he's wanting them to have one last lesson to remember that God doesn't look on the outside. He looks on the inside of a person. And I want to say this. He sees not just what is there on the inside, but he sees potential of what can come. God wants some of you today to look at those around you and not just see where they're at, but to see potential. But I also believe that God wants, boy, as much as we struggle and we look at others from the outside, we look at ourselves and we have this, we have this grid which we look at ourselves and we, we tend to put a framework on it that says, man, God, I don't know if you can use me either. I don't know that I can do anything. I see my lack. I, see, I feel isolated. I feel lonely. And today, I believe that God wants to change some of our perspectives, not only for others, but for ourselves. Because I believe every single person in this room has the potential to be an unlikely hero for God. And I can hear all the arguments of why you can't, why you shouldn't, and I'll tell you what. They might seem true, but they're not. Jesus, he pulls the disciples together and while he's got their attention, while all this is going on, he says this, I tell you the truth, this poor widow is given more than all the others who are making contributions. 
You know what Jesus was saying? In the courtyard right now, guys, as you look out and you see hundreds and maybe thousands of people, let me tell you who the greatest is among them. Who would you guess it is? And they would say, that guy over there, I saw what he gave. That person over there, I saw what they're doing. I see that that guy, he's praying out loud over there. Man, he seems pretty powerful. And Jesus says, it's not any of them. It's her. And I wonder how much shock that was to the disciples to say, Jesus, wait a minute. Her? She has nothing to give. Man, we don't even pay attention to her. But the reality is Jesus has a different definition of what makes somebody an unlikely hero than we do. What was it he saw that day? And I want to give you two very simple thoughts that we're going to walk away with today about what makes an unlikely hero when we look at Linda's story. You see, the first thing I recognize when I, I dig a little further into her story, and, and it's just a simple line. It says, she, as poor as she was, she gave everything. Just shout everything. Now, let's be honest for a moment. Did she give more than everybody else? No. Her 80 cents wouldn't compare to some of the other gifts that day. Even the Bible tells us there were people making large contributions. I don't know what they were. Jesus isn't talking about how much she gave. He's talking about her heart and her faith behind her giving. And I don't want you to even take this as a giving message because I'm not gonna spend a lot of time on finance. I'm trying to go a little deeper to recognize that what God is saying through this woman's life is that he is giving us a new definition of what it means to be a hero. And it really is this thought. It requires on our part wholehearted surrender. The amazing part about our relationship with God, if you're in this room or you're online today and you've asked Christ into your life, it was a free gift. It cost us nothing. It, it, was, it was a gift that came to us. We couldn't have bought it. We couldn't have paid for it. And I am so thankful for that free gift of salvation. It came at a price to Jesus. He gave his life. But in return, you know what God asked from us? Everything. Everything. The gift is free, but he asks us to completely and wholly surrender our whole life. And he notices it in this lady. He says, she has given me everything. She has surrendered everything and she did it wholeheartedly. And what Jesus is modeling in this is that he asks us unashamedly to surrender everything in our life. I find that kind of hard. I would like it if you'd surrender to me or my kids would surrender to me, but I don't like to surrender to others a lot of times. Isn't that how we are? There's a part of us that's self-centered. We want our way. We want our needs met. We want all of that. But the reality is, is that Jesus never modeled life that way. He gave everything for us. And in return, he asked from, for everything from us. He asked you to surrender your, the way you think. He asks you to surrender your morality to him. He asks you to surrender the way you handle stewardship and how you handle relationships. And see, one of the challenges is that in our day, in our age, in our culture, we think of surrender as loss instead of when it's Jesus that we surrender to. It's the only place I know that true freedom comes is in surrendering to him and his ways. Instead of loss, we gain. Instead of losing, we find more life. Instead of Jesus said, if you'll give up your life, you will find your life. But none of us are really good at surrendering, I find. This little lady, she models 
what surrendering is. And here's the thing about surrender that I've discovered. God never asks you for what you don't have. He only asks you for what you do have. God created you in a certain way with gifts and talents, abilities, personality, resources, and the way all of your life is gone. God's not going to ask you for something you're not, but he will ask you for what you have. And I think the place that this morning I want to park on surrender for just a moment is, is the area of how you see God working in your life. Oftentimes we look at our lives, as I said, and we, we compare ourselves around and we, we wouldn't call ourselves unlikely heroes. We would maybe call ourselves uh, non-existent heroes. There's nothing within me that could do anything great for God. The truth is you can't. But if you're a believer in Christ and Christ lives in you, he takes everything you hand and he can do something different with it that will shock and amaze you as you surrender it to him. So I was thinking about this little story. I was thinking about all the lies that, and I wonder how many, how many times she had to battle the lie that the enemy tried to bring upon her. Here she is. She's got 80 cents. That's it, guys. Bible says that's all she had to live on. It was 80 cents. I wonder how many times she, she had the enemy who, by the way, the devil is the father of every lie. He is the one who comes to kill, steal, and destroy. And he wants to kill your future. He wants to destroy your, who you think you are in Christ. He wants to rob you of the potential that you have within you. If he can't get you to stop serving God, he at least wants you to do nothing for God. I want you to think about a few of the lies that, that we all face today when it comes to being an unlikely hero, letting God use you to do something amazing in his life or in your life and to reach others. I think the most obvious lie that she had to deal with was the lie, I don't have much. We all can look at ourselves and again, please do not limit this just to resources. We often look at ourselves and, and we look at what we have, who we are, what we think we have to offer and and we don't see that it has much value to it. Let me tell you a little about a little boy who was on a hillside one day. He was on a hillside one day and there was thousands of people around and Jesus had been teaching all day long. It seems like everybody had eaten all the food they brought and I'm not sure if this little boy had a kindergarten teacher like I did, but you remember when your kindergarten teacher told you, hey, unless you have enough to share with everybody, don't bring it out. Well, he seemed to have kept his lunch that day. And at the end of the day, either that or his mom packed him a ton of food and he ate most of it. But at the end of the day, he had one loaf and a little fish left over. Just, if you've never read the Bible through, what happens is, is Jesus asks if anybody has the food and they bring him this little boy's loaf and his fish. And Jesus begins to break it apart and he begins to feed the entire crowd of thousands of people. It's one of the miracles I really can't wait to see because I can understand and maybe in my mind picture a tumor being gone or I can imagine, I can even kind of picture walking on water because of movie technology today. I cannot imagine how the bread, did it get smaller? Or did he just keep multiplying? How did that happen? But I wonder what that little boy's life would have been like if he had said, you know what? I've only got one loaf and one fish. I can't see that doing anything. I'm just gonna hang on to it instead. He surrendered it. You see, because the lie is I don't have much, but the truth is God can use my little to do more than I could imagine. We so limit God. 
Isn't it amazing how God, God tends to put us in places where we don't have quite enough of what we need so that we'll have to learn to trust him in our journey. And I wanna to speak to some of you today to say that you don't think you have anything to give. I wanna say that that is a lie, that God has placed within you some amazing things that if you'll surrender them to God, you'll begin to see how he can use them how you'll touch other people's lives, how you will make a difference in our culture, in our society. I think another lie that our precious little lady in our story might have thought was my failures limit me. I don't know what happened. I imagine that people might have even looked at, I don't know what happened to her husband. But I think one of the most limiting things she might have faced and we face is we look at our past failures and sometimes we wonder if, if we can ever move past them. And I think there's two areas of failures we should talk about for just a moment. One is the failures that we have in our past. And the others are the failures we're dealing with still even today. And I just want to say, first of all, if you're still struggling in an area of failure or, or brokenness or sin, or the good news is, is that God loves you so much even in the midst of your failure but I've discovered a secret in my life. And that is this, that we are to confess our sins to God because it says he's faithful and just to forgive us if we'll confess our sins. He brings forgiveness, but I also think about the scripture in James where it says, confess your sins one to another that you might find healing. There's a place in our life that We'd love to just have it here with God and every time we mess up, every time there's, there's struggling, especially in that kind of habitual sin or that brokenness, we would love to just deal with God and yet God brings it back and says, I forgive you, but I want you to know you've got to begin to be in community to let others come alongside you and help you and guide you. Isn't it interesting? Confess your sins one to another that you might be healed. If you're stuck, let me tell you one of the things that you have to have in your life. That's other believers around you to walk with you, to bring accountability and, and encouragement. And I want to tell some people in the room today that if you're stuck in a place like that, the best place you could be is in a group of people, even if they're not dealing with the same thing because it's beginning in relationship with people you'll get to know, begin to trust that God works in your life. How do I know? Because I was one of those guys. In my early 20s, I was struggling with some areas of immorality and what I looked at and what I was stuck into. And I can remember confessing a hundred times and asking God for forgiveness. And I'll never forget the one day I finally realized I gotta try something different. My early 20s, I, at the end of a service, much like this, I came right down to the front. And I'll tell, you, I'll tell you one of the heroes in my life was one of the leaders in the church when I began to just be open and transparent with, with my struggle for the first time ever. He said, you know what? I've struggled with that too. Man, I gasped because I can almost remember feeling like I thought I was the only one. I thought, man, I look at everybody else. We put on all these church faces. We look so good. We come in. Nobody ever just comes out and says, hey, by the way, here's what I got going. And it's bad. We hide it. We don't. And I understand why it's not necessarily for us to just say everywhere. But I remember that day. But I'll tell you what it was. He didn't leave me standing there. He began to share how God had worked in his life. He began to talk about how others need to be in your life to strengthen you and encourage you and help you with accountability. And I want to say to some of you that are maybe in failure right now, you need to get around some people that can begin to walk on a journey that you can be honest with as you build trust. But I also want to say to a lot of you who've come through things 
and you felt like, man, my past failures, I don't really want anybody to know. I've come through them and God's helped me. But I want to tell you, those are the very things that God wants to use you in to be a hero to somebody else to walk through their journey. And none of us like admitting our failures and our brokenness. Business, maybe there's business people in here who you've, you've faced bankruptcy, you've made the wrong decisions. How much could you help somebody by getting together and beginning to be in their life and helping them understand God's principles and God's ways and, and even with just wisdom in business? I wanna tell everybody in this room, your failures can limit you, but with God, your failures can be the very thing that God uses to help others. You can be someone's hero by being willing to go on a journey with them. I think one of the other lies that we face so much is a lie that says I'm nothing special. This is kind of a, a little bit of a challenge because I have to say to you, if you're a believer in Christ, you're special, just like everybody else <laughs> that's in Christ. But the reality is, is that because you've given your life to Christ and he lives in you, you have something nobody else on the planet has and that's the Holy Spirit. Comforter, helper, leads you, guides you. And the truth of the matter is, I wanna speak to some people here today to say that you think you're nothing special, but the truth is you are special when you see yourself through God's eyes and how he sees you. Well, you might say, okay, Walter, I, I, I can see how maybe if I share a story of where I've come through, maybe that helps somebody, but I don't see I have a lot more than that. Let me tell you something. Let me just tell you some areas that I think we often overlook. How about your life experiences? There, and I would say this, the older you get, the more you have a responsibility to share your life experiences with younger people. How about what you've gone through and you discovered where God built your faith? How about areas, like I mentioned, maybe in business, how God showed up and you, again, through the help of other people, even in our community that began to pour into your life. How about parenting skills? And here's what the Bible talks about and the Hebrews would only know, they would know generational transfer of wisdom. I think as Americans, we try a lot of self-help things and we even try a lot of peer things, but I wanna say, especially to people in their 30s, 40s and 50s and older, you have a lot to offer that you don't even realize. The number one fear I hear from our young people in their late teens and early 20s, and I talk to a lot of them, especially at our Bible college and through young adults and that, is they're afraid that they're gonna miss the perfect will of God. As if the will of God is this narrow little path that's so small that that one little bump and you're off and, and what happens if I miss the perfect will of God? You know what I think the will of God is? It's like a bowling alley. You can bowl some curves and you can bowl left to right. As long as you stay out of the gutter, you're gonna be okay. But you know what? I only learned that through life experience of going through some of the difficulties and understanding that God cared more about my heart than he did every decision. For some of you that are looking for that one perfect spouse in all the world and out of the eight billion people, can I just tell you there's a lot more than one? Make sure they're the right personality and they're a believer. I believe in trying to make sure you're compatible, but I gotta tell you, God's will is much bigger for you than that. And if he has one thing only that he wants you to know, he will tell you, and as you trust him and surrender to him, he will make his path clear to you. There are so many of you in the room today that have life experiences that are so needed. Maybe you're a believer, you might even help somebody older, but just because you've, you've walked with God longer, your life experience even with God can translate to being 
help to somebody else and being their hero? How about your personality? Any quirky people in the room? I wanna just speak to some people for a moment that you think you're what we call an outlier maybe. There's maybe in the middle realm of people that just people find easy to connect with in a relationship and then there's those that maybe you're on, maybe a little more difficult. I wanna speak to some of you today. God created every single one of you and he didn't make a mistake in your personality. He created you with intent and with purpose and he created you to be able to connect to certain segments of people that maybe nobody else could connect to. I do believe that we need to let God redeem our personality. I, I love humor and man, I, I, my mind, the way it works is I don't care, I don't care if it's not funny, I see something funny in it. Now that's real bad at a funeral as I have found out the hard way. But I've learned that as I've let God redeem my personality, he uses me and I have an ability to connect with people and ask the most hard questions and personal questions even when I first meet them. I realize that's how God created me. As I began to learn how to leverage that, it's helped me connect to people. How did God create you? Instead of looking at it as a mistake, how about you begin to look at it? It's one of the tools God gave you to be somebody's hero in their life. Because you may not be able to connect to everybody, but God's put people on the planet that only you can connect to in a way that I cannot connect to. Let's talk about a few other things that you have. Because remember, God doesn't ask us to give what we don't have. He asks us to give him and surrender what we do have. Your job, your school. And how many times do we look at it just as a place of work or where we earn income or where we're learning instead of realizing God has sovereignly placed you in there, maybe for a season or maybe for long term. But what if you went every day to work and you said, God, open my eyes to any divine appointments you have for me today. Give me the word of knowledge or word of wisdom I might need today. And God, help me just to not miss how you might use me today in somebody's life. That perspective, I can promise you, you begin to, you begin to change your perspective as you do that. How about this? Every single person who's a believer is a person of prayer. You know what makes somebody, what will make you somebody's hero? When God drops somebody on your heart in the middle of your day, I'm not talking maybe your wife or your spouse, I mean your wife or I guess the wife and the spouse are the same, but <laughs> your spouse, your children, I think of them all the time, but when God drops somebody on my heart, what I have found is he drops David on my heart and I just, in a moment, I realize that's not just my thinking, that's the Holy Spirit putting somebody in my path, even if I don't see them. I just take 30 to 60 seconds and pray, God, I don't know what's going on, but I pray for their day. I pray, I pray for you to really bless their day. Help them whatever they're facing today. Let grace come upon them. Sometimes I just feel the scripture and I'll just pray, you know, God, you're their shepherd today. And if they've forgotten that, help them know that. Cause them to lie down in green pastures. I find that often what I do after that I, I used to be embarrassed to do it. Now I've realized it makes a difference. I just text him and say, you know, David, I was thinking about you today and I just was praying Psalms 23.1 over you. Hope your day's going great. Do you know every one of you have the power of prayer, just like Elijah? Says he was a guy just like us. He was an ordinary guy, but God used him to do extraordinary things. That one little prayer changes somebody's world. You've done something to help somebody go through their day. And let me just share the last one that I, I think is so important. 
what, what every single one of us have in this room is not just love, not just romantic love, not just, we have the love of Christ in us if you're a believer. And the beautiful thought, part about Christ's love is that it should never just stay within us. It's actually designed to flow in us and through us. The greatest need of humanity is the need to be loved. We're in a culture, man, that is hungry for it. And again, I don't mean just your love because uh, whether you're a believer or not, you can love people. But I'm talking about the kind of love that Christ had that goes beyond offenses, that, that goes to build bridges, the kind of love that, that reaches into people's lives that are unlovely, that even goes and does the unthinkable because God did that for us. I recognize that in my life, there's barriers when it comes to reaching out to people. I feel like with our, our younger people, our, our, you know, I've got kids now in their early 20s and, and I realize how, how much harder it is for me to connect with that young culture. I mean, uh, Facebook or Instagram just added a new feature and they're trying to explain it to me. I'm like, I can barely get through Twitter, let alone Instagram. I mean, I'm looking for more comfortable shoes, not less comfortable shoes these days. I mean, I'm about to wear slippers to preach in except that I'm on camera and that doesn't go over well. I realize that there's some gaps even between age groups. If I'm really honest, the whole conversation we're having in our culture about racial challenges, I get nervous at times I'm gonna say the wrong thing or I'm gonna offend somebody. As Pastor Mark mentioned last week, we were in Birmingham, Alabama a week ago and as we went to the Civil Rights Institute of Birmingham, I was so rocked and moved by seeing what people have lived through in the what people have faced, and I feel inadequate. I feel inadequate when I have friends who are of another religion, and I went and saw my friend who cuts my hair. He's a Buddhist, and we always joke we should do a TV show, The Buddhist and the Pastor on the Road, and just, and, and just kind of our life together and the discussions we have. And, and sometimes the awkwardness of not knowing if I'm going to say something that's offensive. Do you know what breaks every barrier? It's not our words, it's our love. Every single person in this room, you might be like how we perceive that little widow. She had nothing to give. Linda had nothing to give and yet God saw something in her so deep and she surrendered everything. One of the greatest things we surrender is, is our ability to love other people. I was online this last week and I was just reading through, the, through different stories and I came upon a story that actually happened a couple years ago and I didn't see it. But it impacted me about the thought of of one unlikely hero, and it was about, the, about a boy named David. His name was David Only. He's born and his mother was in prison while he was born. And she never got, has never been out of prison yet. And, and he was in the Florida foster care system his entire life. And about two years ago at the age of 15, he so desired family and love and he realized he's been in and out of homes his entire life. He's never had a home. And he got up one Sunday and he put on his, son, his best suit. He went to a church and I think it was the church he'd been to a few times in Florida. And he got up and he begged for somebody to, to um, adopt him. Here was the words he said. He, he said, my name's David and I've been in foster care since I was born. I know God hasn't given up on me and I'm not giving up either. But I'll take anyone, old or young, 
a dad or a mom, I don't care. Black, white, or even if you're purple, I don't care. And I'll be really appreciative and I'll be the best kid I could be. And he sat down. You can feel the emotion in the room right now of what it means to not be loved. That video went viral and he was on a couple different TV shows and there was over 10,000 responses that came in in an interest. And over the next year and a half, not one person stepped up to adopt him. I thought it was interesting. He said, God hasn't given up on me and I'm not giving up. And he equated that to somebody with flesh and blood that would love him. And isn't that what Jesus sent us into the world to be his hands and his feet? About a year, year and a half passed and he decided to call Connie going. And I think they've got a picture of her. She'd been his caseworker since he was seven until I think about 12 or 13. Hadn't seen her for a little bit. He called her up and he simply said, Connie, no one's ever adopted me. Would you consider adopting me? She had two girls by birth. She had adopted another son out of the foster care system. Connie took that phone call and she just simply said this about that. She said, from the moment he called me, he was, my, he was 100% my son. I loved him. And I stop and I think about that story and I think about the power of the love that God's put in every single one of you and every single one of us that isn't created just to stay within us. It's designed to flow out to us, to everybody around us. David, he could care less the background, the color of skin, what they did for a living. All he needed was somebody to love him. Connie, she adopted him. She's not my hero today because she's so amazing or she has so much money or because she has some great gift. She just was willing to surrender the love that was in her and give it to somebody else. And here's my question today. God has blessed every single one of us with his love gifts, abilities. He's put things in our life that we sometimes overlook. And when we ask the question and say to God, I don't have anything, I believe the Lord's coming back to you today and he's saying, oh yes, you do. And if you'll surrender it, you'll be amazed at what I can do with it. Would you stand with me? Being an unlikely hero requires great faith. I thought of what it would be like if I could invite Linda to the platform today. I'd kind of say to her, Linda, you got to help me. If I'd been Jesus, I would have probably told you not to worry about it. I'd, I'd ask somebody else to give. Isn't it amazing Jesus didn't do that? He, instead of stopping her, he honored her. I kind of want to say to her, Linda, tell me why. Tell me just why you were able to give everything. You surrendered everything. In my quirky little mind, this is what I imagine her saying to us today. I imagine her looking us in the eye and I imagine her, her looking you and saying, I wasn't the first time I gave everything. You gotta know, it was a journey. But there was a time where I decided hmm, that I can surrender all I have because God keeps his promises. You see, you have to know, for me, she would say, I know that the, that the psalmist wrote that God looks out for the widows and the orphans. He always always, always promise to take care of us. And from the day my husband died, I decided that I was going to trust that God would keep his promises to me. I had days of difficulty, maybe times of doubt, but I've never, I've never walked through it. And because of that, I really trust God. I don't have a plan B. God's it. 
I think she'd encourage every one of us to quit looking at plan Bs and, and to put our trust in God completely and surrender everything we have because it's in that place of surrender that we go on the most amazing journey to see what God might do in us and through us. And he'll put you in places you would have never thought of. And he'll do things with your life you never thought you would do. And it may never be on a platform. It may never be on a screen. It may never be in the news, but you'll impact people that you'll one day meet in heaven and you'll just discover that God used you to be somebody's unlikely hero. I can hear little Linda saying, please people, trust that God's provision, which you can't yet see, is greater than my needs, which are right in front of me. I have a tendency to look more what's in front of me than believing what God can do and the potential that God has. But trust God, he won't disappoint you. And I think she'd stand here and she'd say, my life scripture is this. That God's ways are so much higher than my ways and his thoughts are so much higher than my thoughts. And I've come to discover that where I put God in a box, when I trust him, he blows that box up. And when I put myself in a box and I think of God's thoughts instead of my thoughts about me, I realize I matter to God and I can impact people around me. You see, church, today, I wanna put something in your heart and spirit that says the devil's always gonna lie to you and limit you. I wanna to declare today that God is working in your life. And whether you've been a believer a day, a year, a decade, or you're going on 60 years of being a believer, God wants to use us because he has a culture and a city and a nation that he needs to be reached. And it's gonna happen one person at a time as we simply let God use us. I believe God's calling every single person in this room and every single person that hears my voice online today to wholehearted surrender, a fresh commitment to surrendering everything we have to God. Would you bow your head for a moment? Because I believe that there are some people in this room and there's people watching online today that need to take the first step of surrender and that is surrendering your life to Christ for the first time. I felt today that God had just said, that I'm bringing people today that need to just surrender their life to me and let me show them how good I can be to them. And for those of you that are here today and those that are online, I'm just saying it to you right up, that if you'll try God, you'll never be disappointed. He's the only one who can forgive you of the past. He's the only one who can give you a new start. He's the only one who can come in and change your life from the inside out. But you have a decision today. And that is, will you give him your life? And he'll ask for everything in return, but you will always be blessed because he lives in you and changes you. People are bowing their heads for a moment just because we wanna give you a moment to hear from the Holy Spirit. For every person you feel something inside and you've never given your life to Christ or maybe you've walked away from God, this is your moment. Online, this is your moment. And whether you're in your bedroom, on your desk, or whether you're in the auditorium, I'm just asking you to do one thing. I'm not calling you up front. I'm not doing anything, but I wanna ask you if that's you. Would you just slip up your hand because I wanna pray for you. I wanna wait for this moment because I believe that, that there's people, the Holy Spirit is, is drawing right now. And if that's you, God's meeting you right where you're at. As you slip up that hand, all you're saying is, Jesus, here I am. Here I am. Here I am. 
online, you're saying, Jesus, here I am. And I want to ask you just to hold up your hand long enough that I could have one of my service hosts, they're the only ones looking around right now, just to give you a book that will help you grow in your walk with God. And it's got a little card that we would love to have you take back at the back of the service in just a few moments and meet with one of our people that would love to pray with you and talk with you because this is the most important decision you'll ever make in your life. Is there anybody else? Jesus, today, we thank you for every person making that decision. God, we celebrate with them. We thank you for a life that's changed and all of heaven's rejoicing right now. And now I want everybody to just look at me for a moment. I believe that God's calling our church in this season and our nation needs it more than ever, that we would be people that would wholeheartedly surrender whatever we have to God. Say, God, I'm willing to be one of your unlikely heroes. I don't feel like I'm one. I'm unlikely to be one. In fact, it's improbable that I can do anything to reach people around me, to touch my community. But I believe that everyone in the room, God's calling to a greater surrender, to willingness to use your life to reach other people. I just want to ask you, church, if that's you, would you just lift up both hands if you're willing? If you're willing, would you just lift up both hands? And I mean it. If you're saying, God, I'm willing. I don't know how it all looks. I'm, God, I'm even a little nervous what this might look like. But if you're willing, I want you to lift up your hands. And I want you to read something with me. And I want this to be our declaration. And we're surrendering to God our whole heart right now. And if this is you, I want you to read this out loud with me. Are you ready? Today, I wholeheartedly surrender my life to you, Father. And I trust that your Holy Spirit will work in me and through me in ways that I couldn't imagine. And I am willing, say it again, I am willing. Come on, one more time. To be one of your unlikely heroes who lives like Jesus and shares your love with everyone around me. God, Father, today I pray for those who have given their life to you. And God, I pray for every person today that is saying, Lord, I don't know that you could ever use me. And I pray today that your ways would become their ways. And your thoughts about them would become their thoughts today, God. And for every person today in this room, we surrender our lives to you, that you would use us in a mighty way. In the name of Jesus, and everybody shouted a big amen. amen. Come on, give God a big shout and a clap because he's the one who does it. He's the one who empowers you.